Who the bloody hell's that? Morning, Ange. Oh, Anthony. How are we? I'm really well. How are you? <laughs> Come on in. I will do. Thank you. Did that sound staged? Just a little. No, it's fine. fine. Yeah. I'm going to embrace the whole lounge pant thing next time. I'm going to put my University of New Hampshire lounge pants on. You should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter one, two, three of the Corona Diaries. Fingers off lips now, Mr H, fingers off lips. Easy as one, two, three. Yes, the Jacksons. As easy as... A, B, C. Jesus, one, two, three. We might need yeah. to change the plan. That might need to be the Croomcast. <laughs> Could be, yeah. Could, Could be. be. Who knows? Bit of, bit of the Jacksons. But the Jacksons. The Croomcast could be anything this week. There's already ideas in play before we even start yes. talking. Yes, yes, yes. We've we've done research. Uh, of, uh, well, I've sorted out my on. gain structure. I've sorted out my gain structure as well. You sound beautiful. Yeah, I, yeah. I've got. I've I've really sorted myself out. Mm. Mm. Uh, did I you give yourself a bit of a talking to? Well, I finally found out how to use this bloody box I've, I've had for years. <laughs> I think that helped. Okay. <laughs> I, t- I took the pad out. I've had a pad in that I didn't know was in. Have you? I have, and I've taken it out now, and uh, it's worked wonders. Because normally, as you approach your age, you start putting pads in. Oh, those. Oh, no, I've still got them in. Have you? Mm. In what, though? In my cheeks. In what? <laughs> in my <me, laughs> cheeks. Oh, right, like, okay. Like Marlon Brando. Right. You've got a look of a look of a chipmunk about you. <laughs> the dumb. The t- <laughs> I'm going to make them all an offer they can't refuse. Okay, whilst also giving away where you live yet oh, again. Fuck yeah! I had a man around yesterday to look at my toilet, and 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 he listens to the podcast, and he said, "Do you realise how many times you've given your address away?" And I went, "I haven't." And he went, "I think you have." Is it? Is it, is it? <laughs> I was expecting to have to fight my way past a queue <laughs> to come and get in. What a, so a queue no, of plumbers? We'll have to we'll have to edit that bit out. Right. Yeah. Right. I said, well, I did have a gnome in the garden at one point that appeared mysteriously with bomb cleavage and all of that mm. uh, after I made the gnome comment, which was a bit slightly unsettling for the missus. Oh God, they know where we are. Mm. Um, anyway, we'll edit all this out. Right, right. <laughs> it, it doesn't help that you bump into listeners when you go to the local fate. No. Well, obviously, they then find out because that I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because as a rule, no you don't travel it. 150 miles to a village fate, do you? <laughs> no, I never have. I've, I've been down the road to the one in the next village in... Uh, there was a great one in uh, in a village whose name I can't mention. <laughs> can't possibly say. <laughs> Last week. Uh, dear. I don't know. I'm kidding. It's probably common knowledge now, isn't it? Uh, well, I, I, well, I know where you live, but, I mean, I've never told anybody. 
No. I've never I needed d- to, to be I fair. I must get some enormous wrought iron gates on the on the front, but that 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 might that might be a little bit tricky. Well, also thinking about, you know, the vista of where you live, that would give it away even more. That's true. And when you open the gates, the cars wouldn't be able to get past. <laughs> <laughs> I think you should do it just for just for devilment. I think you should do it. Um, we've got quite a bit of housekeeping uh, before we start. Um, oh. Just to clear up before we go, I do not shave my legs. I just no. don't have any leg hair. No, that's great. What a pair of legs! What so, a pair of pins! So, so they weren't shaved. I, I just no. don't, for whatever reason, I, I don't have a lot of leg hair. So there we are. So I'm just putting it out there. I do not shave. Yes, I paint my toenails, but I don't shave my legs. I did put it on Insta. You did. That, that wasn't an idle threat. No, it wasn't. You did. And to be fair, to be fair, it's fine. It's it's all fine. Um, there was a demand. That was why. Mm. I was getting requests. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know what I'm like with requests. I'm I know exactly what you like with requests. <laughs> Oh dear! Give us Amarillo for the uh, for the crooncast. Um, I'm just a boy who can't say no. In fact, we should stop now, and you could just croon for the rest of the episode. I'm in a terrible fix. Yeah. Um, Pep's been in touch. Ah, what Guardiola? No. Ah, um, all right. Though he is very impressive, there's no doubt. Particularly after probably not a lot I could help him with. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, he wants a bit of help round the back. Yeah, Uh, he doesn't need much help, does he? No, no. Pep's been in touch, and Pep's been in touch um, to slightly admonish me. But to be fair, he's absolutely right because I was I was in Catalonia last week. Really? Yeah, yeah. And and I didn't mention that, and I should have done. Oh, yeah, you would. You yeah, that's a cardinal sin up there. Yes, the, uh, there's no love lost between Catalonia and the rest of Spain. Really, no. they'd just as soon be on their own, wouldn't they? The, yeah, and 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 the thing is, I'm quite, very, I'm staunchly northern, so I know exactly. So I, I I feel it even worse that I made that blunder. So I apologise for that for not having mentioned that. Uh, last week, uh, and then it ties into the the old uh, chucho, the old um, pastry we were talking about, um, because that is actually a Catalan delicacy from Girona. Ah, well, there we are. So, if you're I... in that neck of the woods, and it's funny because he, he he went on to mention that they eat a lot of pastry, and I did notice a shitload of pastry shops while I was there. Mm. In a way, you don't normally spot them. Mm. What am I first? I think my first ever H Natural show was in Girona. It was either the first one or one of the very first ones uh, at a record fair, and I was supported by Hugh Cornwell from the, the Stranglers. Stranglers, and he was really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt very humbled by that because he's written some great tunes. Yeah, and I thought, and I think my exact words were, "What the hell are you doing supporting me?" <laughs> and he, <laughs> well, it might have been a sentence that was was echoing around the entire venue. <laughs> he had the good taste not to say, "I've no idea." I've no I was idea. wondering that myself. <laughs> he uh, he was really cool, actually. Nice fellow. Mm, interesting band as well. Mm, well, I think they were all girls at that point. He had a load right. of girls in his band. 
I mean, the Stranglers were an interesting band for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. yeah. Well, Girona is a lovely place. Really, really nice place. Mm. Uh, very, very, very nice part of the world. But apologies. So, any offence, I should have picked up on that, and I, I do apologise. So, and thank you for having the uh, the good grace for, for letting me know without actually shouting at me too much, uh, which is very kind of you. I um, must mention, actually, my my friend and brothers, um, Gabriel Perez and Pep Sala, um, Catalans, who I'm very thick with over the years. So. Um, Proper brothers, uh, must mention them and um, send love. Mm. Thick with the Catalans. That had a slight m- mafiosa overtone to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, well, look at my cheeks. Yeah, indeed. There's your pads. Right, on to, back on to, because we're going to get there, back on to Dryland. Right, mm, so we're going to talk back, about the songs on Dryland. We've talked a little back, bit about back on yeah. back on Dryland, back on Dryland. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about the songs on the album, uh, lyrical ideas behind them, meanings behind them, influences behind them. We've talked a little bit about the recording process. We've talked a little bit about the band and everybody who got together either through the recording process or um, to form what the, what was the touring band. But let's talk about the songs. And before we start, I kind of want to mention, because we kind of mentioned it a bit last week, actually, um, and I'm just looking for the link so I've got it so I don't get the names wrong. So the well, um, the Rainbow yeah. Room podcast, oh, God, which you yeah. can get to by going to the Europeans.co.uk, um, which is a great source of information. It hasn't been updated, I don't think, for quite a while. I think is it Tim Glasswell who does it? That's right, Tim Glasswell. Um, but there is some really interesting stuff on there. So if you've if you've got an hour to kill and you want to just meander around some interesting stuff, then that is not a bad place to go. Um, and I know you've done. I think you've done interviews with him, haven't you? I have. I, I, only one, I think, to my knowledge. So I, I might have to go there myself and meander around because I'll, I'll probably I'll probably learn all sorts of stuff that that I ought to know already that I'd forgotten. Um, might be a nice little trip down memory lane. Mm. While we're on the subject of back on dry land, although this is not on the subject of that, um, we were in rehearsal yesterday and uh, I said, the band are going to go into care now, which I thought was an excellent introduction for that that song. Mm. Uh, And also quite apt in terms of the state we're all in. Anyway, I just thought I'd let you know. I think that's lovely. Yes, that's going to be my intro for the tour. I think you should keep that in. I think the nice thing will be as well, because everybody now knows when it's coming, they'll probably join you in a crescendo of it as you start. (laughs) Is the band going into care, Steve? I'll go, yes, the band are going into care. Oh, you've got your own catchphrase. (laughs) Well, one one of quite a few catchphrases. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, back on dry land. Back on dry land. So yeah. let's get to the old. Let's get to the old album listing because I've got that on here, courtesy courtesy of uh, Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think it's got the list of titles. So we'll go through it chronologically. Not not chronologically, is it? It's numerically, isn't it? Anyway, we'll, from the start to the end. Okay. Yeah. So we'll kick off with Working Girl. Ah. Um. 
Yes, well, Working Girl was inspired by a taxi driver somewhere in Germany. It might have been Stuttgart. Yeah, one of those kind of muted yellow-coloured Mercedes cabs. Mm, the slightly beige ones. Yeah, and uh, I think I was... I think I got a cab in the middle of the night somewhere in Germany, and it was um, it was a girl driving it, and I thought, that's, that's quite a... That might be sort of a... A dangerous thing to be doing as a lone female, you know, in the middle of the night, every night. And so that's what inspired Working Girl. And then, of course, I had a little fantasy about her coming home in the morning to her lover who'd missed her all night and had worried about her. Um, And, of course, because it was called Working Girl... Everyone would naturally assume it was about a, a prostitute, but it was it was about a taxi driver. Um, that's what inspired it. And I think I wrote it on the piano one day, and then David Lord got a hold of it and um, sort of imposed that arrangement on it. Um, and and that's that's all I can really remember about it. I found a video clip of you doing it at some form of festival. Yes, uh, that might have been that huge festival. We did this enormous festival in uh, again in Germany, uh, and I think it was about 90,000 people. It, it might still be the largest audience I've ever played to, that gig, um, even though we were just, you know, this little band who, you know, with a, I think I had a dreadful monitor sound. I could barely hear what was going on, and I was over-singing, and I wasn't very pleased with how it went. Although I do, my my enduring memory of that festival was, what's his face? Um, John, 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 John. You're the voice. You're the Farnham. Voice. Farnham. Uh, watching him singing from the side of stage, because he was on it, and wow. He's a singer. Um, you know, I remember standing at the side of stage watching Farnham sing You're the Voice, and it was just immaculate, you know, in terms of power and tone and pitch and everything. Just absolutely spot on. Um, very impressed by that. That might also have been the same same festival, actually, where I ended up in the nightclub with Joe Cocker and the Don't Drink Anything You Can't See Through and all of that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Did Go I not back. tell you that story? Go back, hang on. I must have told you that story. Screeching sound of brakes, hang on. <laughs> no. I'll tell you no. that. Oh, there used to be a nightclub um, under the, I think it was the Park Hilton in, in Munich. I don't think it's there anymore. I think they turned it into a restaurant. But it was a club and it was in the basement. And uh, I think Joe Cocker might have been on that. I could be getting all of this confused, but it might have been the same time that we went back to the hotel afterwards and everybody was having a drink in this bar in the basement. Joe was at the bar and I went up to order a drink and I'm stood next to him. I went, all right, Joe. He went, yeah, all right, all right, son. Uh, and uh, I ordered a beer and at one point he turned to me and he said, I'll give you a bit of advice. I said, what? He said, never drink anything you can't see through. I said, I won't. And he was drinking something you couldn't see through (laughs) at the time. Um, 
And uh, the following morning we checked out at the hotel about half 11 and I realised I'd left my scarf in the nightclub because, you know, I leave everything everywhere all the time. And I'd left this really nice favourite Paul Smith scarf in the restaurant. In the in the in the nightclub downstairs, so I thought, oh no, that'll have gone. So I went downstairs to see if it was there, and Joe was still at the bar, and he hadn't moved, and he hadn't slept, and he was still at the bar drinking things you can't see through. So that that could have been that could have been that festival, or it could have been a festival with Tina Turner. Um. But it was a huge festival, or maybe there were both on it. It was a really big one. And I think that's where that footage comes from of me singing Working Girl. All right. Could be wrong. I've, I've, got, a, I've got so much time for Joe Cocker. Uh, and I, and he's, one, he's in that list of people I wish I'd seen live. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, my other Joe Cocker story was that we, we did another gig with him once in, uh, in one of these big sheds in Germany. And um, we were backstage. I was backstage. Um, and he was backstage talking to this journalist, doing an interview. And he was just wearing a pair of old tatty jeans and an old denim shirt, you know. Um, and it was getting quite close to his stage time. And I was thinking, he's not giving himself a lot of time to get ready. And he was still rapping to this journalist, and he was still and he was still talking to this journalist when his band struck up on stage. Somebody introduced him. His band struck up, and he said to this journalist, "Excuse me a minute." And he went on. Um, <laughs> oh, he's become even more legendary. He he wasn't someone who you know got vibed up and put his best shirt on to go on stage. He'd just go on in whatever he was wearing. Um, with with you know about as relaxed as as people do when they go to the post office. Let, you know, it wasn't like he was going on stage. It was just oh here I am, you know, and with the elbows super glued to yeah. the ribs and the, the hands flailing. And... Yeah. Oh, what what a what a what a man! What a voice! What a band! Mm. What a band he had! Always seemed to have a really really great band. Yeah, I mean that Mad Dogs and Englishman band was. Oh, I don't know if you know that album. Oh, I do know that incredible. album. The Leon with Leon Russell playing piano is off the scale. Yeah, that is a great live record. Delta just, Lady and all of that. Oh yeah, and the Letter and all the stuff. That, oh, yeah. just just absolutely brilliant. What a what a voice, and obviously from God City because he's from Sheffield. Yeah, know, everything everything that could be right about a person is right in Joe Cocker. <laughs> Ex gas fitter. Ex yes. He's got he's got it all going on. <laughs> I mean if he's a Sheffield United supporter as well, or if he was, then it was the real deal, but I don't care he, if he wasn't. He probably was. He probably was, just to complete the whole fancy for me. But no, I didn't know you had Joe Cocker stories. And what a great piece of advice. Uh, yes, it is sound advice, and on the whole I've stuck to it. Apart from coffee, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, because you can, yeah, you can, you can see through a, a, a Bex and a, and a Corona, can't you? They're, they're all right. And, and a tequila. And definitely see through tequila. And Red Bull. And gin. Yep. You can see very clearly through gin. I yeah. can see clearly now. <laughs> I could see Deirdre now. Lorraine Rain is gone. gone. I knew yeah. that was coming. <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't mention that song to a man of a certain age without getting that joke. 
<laughs> you, you just can't. My dad uses that joke all the time. I crowbarred it in. <laughs> the, the thing is, the thing is, I saw it coming from quite a while. I, I saw the dust. I saw the dust in the distance right. before I saw, saw the car. You saw it form in my eyes. It was just. It was just all there. It was just all there. Anyway, welcome to episode one of the fifty-seven episodes it's going to take to discuss this album. Yes, well, we've 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 got through working, girl. What yeah, do you want? It's only taken twenty minutes. <laughs> I was thinking of taking a short holiday. After that. <laughs> right, okay. Let's get back. Let's get back to the list. Yeah, All the time yeah. in the world, which I believe was was that released as a single. It was. It was. Was it the first so, single? Yes, it was. That was. Um, what do I remember about that? That again was another Porter Studio demo that Colin brought to me more or less fully formed um as a piece of music and i just dreamt up the words and the tune for it um and it's you know it's 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 very poptastic it's got a a big pop chorus um and cbs got very excited by it and jumped up and down in fact that was probably the song that got us the album deal um because they thought they had a fighting chance of being a hit. And I was always a little bit, I don't know, I was always a little bit bothered about the fact that that the chorus of all the time in the world sounded like part of that Gloria Gaynor song. Um, I never could say goodbye. Um, And so that sort of, I never really got past that. And so it's it's never felt like a proper thing to me, but but CBS got very excited. Portrait Records got very excited. Did I say we were signed to them by the same guy who who was who A and R? I come from a land down under. Yeah, I think so you mentioned yeah, that Peter in the past. Carpin. That was his sort of that was his passport into uh, into having his own record label because he'd signed Men at Work, Men at work. and they they'd made him made the label a lot of money so they gave him his own label and he got excited about me and and offered me the deal and then uh, then I asked Colin if he'd come with me um because we were writing together as I've said before and Colin brought all the time in the world as a board studio demo and you know I threw that down on it and uh, when when the A&R people heard it they got very excited by it and I, and I think that's what got us the deal um maybe that and working girl I think the best I don't know I think for me the most enduring song on that album is is probably working town um I think that's a lovely little song and I think that that hasn't really dated I think it's it stands up, you know. If you, I'd be ju- just as happy to hear that song today as uh, I was back then. Whereas a lot of the other stuff, I'd kind of think, oh yeah, it sounds like it's of a time. Mm. Um, but there we are. Um, so that's all I can really remember about all the time in the world. We did, we made a video in a in a big warehouse, as you often do, in a big big black warehouse, and. I was strutting about trying to be a pop star and the band were in it and, you know, it's all rubbish, isn't it? <laughs> is, 
<laughs> now, is that, if memory serves, is that the one that would... Because back then, there used to be these shows, didn't there? You, you'd, you'd get these shows where a video would be played and then a group of a group of people who were in the industry and apparently knew stuff uh, would would proclaim whether they liked it or not. And, you know, is that going to... No, I'm, I'm not going to say hit or miss, but you know what I mean. It was that kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah. Um, 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 am I writing saying that 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 was on a show and that one of the people on the panel was Fish? I have no idea. Oh, okay. I have really no idea. That's oh. that's one of your own dreams, but it might be true. But if it is, uh, I don't remember and I didn't see it. Right, I'll check that out. I'll check that yeah. out. Uh, it's just when you said about the video in the factory. That's the that's the the video cap that i can remember and okay um i think it's on the rainbow i think it's on that rainbow room pod, um website i'll check what did he, what did he say i know what i'd have said if i was him i i, I thought well do you know what let get, indulge me and i'll quickly check because i think i, I bet know he's where a, it is sounds like fucking gloria Gaynor. he probably <laughs> said and i wouldn't blame oh, him. i really I, re, I really now hope he did <laughs> um, um no all the time in the world uh, this is from Sky Television, uh, DJ oh. Gary Davis and guest reviewer Fish, who quite Gary liked it. Gary Davis, ooh, Gary Davis on your radio. Oh, well, that's nice. Mm. I don't know any the more book. than that. If anybody knows any more than that, please let us know. But yes, there you are. So, And that is that picture of you in a, in a warehouse that for some bizarre reason seems to have a train track running through it. That's it. That was it. Yeah, well, the more I hear about fish, the more I like him. Well, there That's we are. All I can say. There we are. I've heard a few things lately that you know that I, that I don't even know if if they're true or not because I'm so vague. But he's, I've heard a few things he's said uh, that have been really sweet. So if you're out there, Derek, thanks, man. Moving on to track three, which of course is Dryland. Dry land, yes, yes. That was the, I guess that was the the third hit that probably, you know, hit in inverted commas. <laughs> Not hit in reality, but hit in reality, uh, but hit in inverted commas that, that probably got us the album deal. Because in those days, CBS had this policy that there had to be three surefire hit singles on an album. Um, and that if there if there were, it would be a big album and make them a lot of money. And if there weren't, it probably wasn't worth the investment. Um, and I think I think they maybe that was the three all the time in the world. Working girl and um, dry land might have been the three that they thought. Well, maybe we can get get those away. Of course, if they'd got one of them away, they'd have probably got all of them away. Yeah. Um, and, well, everybody knows what happened to Dry Land. Marillion ended up covering it because Chris Neal was certain it was a hit as well. And he ought to know because he's had enough. But uh, it still wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's been given every chance, hasn't it? It's God knows. God knows it's been hauled up the flagpole and waved in the wind. Um, but... Uh, I, I always thought that that was a really special tune, and um, you know, although I say it myself, it's a very strong chorus melody and unusual, not really like anything, like nothing Gloria Gaynor ever recorded. No. 
she'd have given it a wide berth, I'm thinking. Or or anyone else, you know. uh, It's got a really beautiful um, chorus, a chorus melody, and it's got like a a spooky kind of a verse. and a, and and you know, and a beautiful musical arrangement. Um, the way those cellos, doom, 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 boom, doom, boom, doom, doom, not standard at all as a as a piece of writing, but really lovely. And you know, I think that'd stand up against quite a lot of stuff, you know, by anyone, um, in terms of the sophistication of its uh, construction. Um, as a as a three four minute song, and 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 the beauty of its chorus melody, um, so it's a shame that never really got away. There, there are certain songs that, like no one can's quite a good example. I've said this before. If no one can had been a hit, it would have presented us with a lot of problems, mm. um, because then we'd have been under a lot of pressure to to write more things of a similar ilk to to keep the success going. If Dry Land had been a hit, I don't think it would have presented a problem because it it was un it was unusual. You know, it wasn't overtly commercial. Um it was just classy and good. And so it's a shame that one didn't get away either with how we live or with Marillion. Mm. Because I think that would have been a hit to be proud of, you know, like like I'm not in love for 10cc with something to be proud of. It's not just a hit record. It's something you go, well, there you go. That's not like anything as a statement. No. And gives us all a room in the world to to go in any direction as long as it's good, which is if you're going to have a hit, that's the kind of hit to have that that leaves you free rather than leaves you manacled. This, the, you could make the argument that if no one can had been a hit and Dryland had followed up, Dryland would also have sat very well, but would have instantly unleashed you a little bit from the bounds that no one can could have put you in. Does that make sense? Because you would have followed yeah, up no one true. can with something that wasn't exactly the same as no one can. Yeah, yeah. No, that might have, yeah, that might have changed our history significantly and I'd be talking to you from a much bigger house. Um, <laughs> with a big gate <laughs> and, a, and, a, and a longer string of divorces behind me yeah, probably yeah. as well and no no worry about mentioning your address because you were already on the, the, the you know the tour for the stars it's just that your door was four, four miles from your front gate exactly yeah. I'd be living like I'd be living like that uh, so you know is that better I don't know I don't think it is no, well, it all it all boils down to what it does to you and who you become, or whether you can remain who you are. And you know, certain people remain who they are. You know, you get the feeling that Mick Fleetwood probably has remained who he is. Uh, maybe Charlie Watts remained who he was. He didn't let it mess him up. Um, 
course, having said that, he was on heroin for about four years. <laughs> yeah, well, apart from... <laughs> let's gloss apart over the that. little drug addiction. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's a dangerous profession, I keep saying it. I'm in a dangerous job. People don't think of what I do as dangerous, but if you look at the stats, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unless you're Keith. Yeah. Oh, my Lord, hang on. That's, this I, This happens every week, doesn't it? Yeah. You probably can't hear it. I can. There's a, a, can lovely, a lovely piece of sample running uh, in the background. Oh, there we go. Sorry, the diary I music. that again. <laughs> Mm. Obviously, yeah. we are banging on more than we normally would because whatever episode that was, we'd already gone to the diary at that point. Right, so, let's try and, so, let's yeah, try and dry, raffle dry, through two more. Go on. Well, dry, dry Land was again presented to me almost fully formed by Colin, um, you know, as a Porter Studio demo. Um, he must have been in a really creative period because he kept handing things to me that were really special. Mm. Um and almost fully formed, you know. What's what I've always loved He'd done about all that, that what's always been so unusual about that is the fact that the guitar riff, effectively, because it's kind of riffy, mm. doesn't. It, it, you don't sing against it. You leave the space for the guitar, and then you sing the counter melody, and then the guitar comes back in, which I think is really nice and also quite unusual. Yeah, yeah, but works true. really, really well. Yeah, because it features both. Yeah, um, Brian May said, you know, his he he'd always felt his job in Queen was to stay out of Freddie's way, um, and I think that I think that can be extremely successful if you know if a guitar player wants the limelight, you should wait till the singer shuts up rather than fighting with the singer because. Um, the guitar and voice tend to occupy the same frequency range and they do sonically get in one another's way. Mm. And so if you want a really big riff, you're best to have it when the guy isn't singing and shut up when he does, mm. you know, and vice versa. And the, the singer should shut up when the guitar player plays. And if you can, if you can arrange a song like that and then both of those elements will, will end up with the space they need to be heard. Um, maybe I'm being a bit too scientific. I mean, no, I don't think that, you are. I think, I think Dryline's a perfect, a perfect example of it. Yeah, whether or not that was the in my mind when, when I was writing it, I don't, it probably wasn't. I just thought I'm going to sing on those little pumping cellos in between the guitar, in between that, that lovely and quite unusual guitar um motif or whatever you'd call it um and um that's just how it how it happened uh, naturally mm. but it worked out really well anyway let's try i it. also let's... get flashbacks you know of sh- shouting over to rainer at edinburgh Playhouse, you know, in those in those very moments when he's going, rang, 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 I'd be going, is this it? And she'd be going, yes, keep going. So, you know, I have it takes me to a lot of places at once. That's <laughs> right. Let's try and do two more, and then let's go to diary games in Germany. Well, games in Germany was. Uh, 
all my own work, really. That was one I, I wrote on piano. Um, and I think I'd had that kicking about for years and years and years and years, maybe even even since I was in Doncaster in my first band, I might have been quietly experimenting with that. Um, I can't remember at what stage I put the the verse and the and the chorus together. Um, but that song's about a friend I had who was in who joined the army, and uh, he, he he was one of my very best friends, if not if not my best friend at one point when I was living in Doncaster. And um, he was a real character. He was a you know he was a bit of a um, a wild one, um, and it was him and his brother who set fire to the neighbor's house with the flaming arrows. Did I ever tell you about that? They'd watched Robin Hood on TV, Robin Hood, Robin Hood, and they'd seen the thing was flaming arrows and you know uh, burning castles down and whatnot. So him and his brother um, built themselves. You know some flaming arrows and and uh, and and bows and shot shot them into the window of the old fellow who lived across the road and burned his house down, and and they had to move, um, <laughs> they had to move out of the neighbourhood in shame because they'd burnt this fellow's house down. Uh, so he was that kind of a kid. He was he was a you know he was wild. <laughs> then he went in the army. And whenever he got out of the army, whenever he was out on leave, he'd he'd come round to my house, and I'd just be on my way out to work, and he'd just turn up with a car and go, "Come on, let's go to Scarborough." I'd go, "I can't go to Scarborough, man. I'm going to work." And he used to talk me into just bunking off, phoning sick, and um, we used to yeah, we used to go places. Um, because when he was uh, on leave, he wanted to have fun. And, you know, the fact that I had a life was neither here nor there. He just would, So he would drag me off places. Um, and it was him that, that was sat under the martial amp with the, with the smoke bomb. With the red, have I told you about the red smoke incident? In, oh, have I not told you about <laughs> We did this gig in, uh, in, a, in a club called Flops in Carlisle, uh, quite, a, quite a big club, one Saturday night. And um, he was called Pugsley. That wasn't his proper name, but it, we called him Pugsley, uh, like the, the kid out of the Adams family. Um, and he'd come home on leave and he'd brought an orange smoke grenade that they use um, on the ranges when they're, when they're doing exercises in tanks. And he'd brought that back in orange smoke grenade. So I said, oh, it's great. We should let that off on the big guitar solo. Um, so he said, okay. So he came with us to Carlisle and he's, he sat under this table, like a pub table, which had a 4 by 12 on top of it. And because of the way the stage was set out and our equipment, he couldn't get on and off stage. So he had to sit under this table for the entire gig. And he had a pair of asbestos gloves on and this grenade. And uh, we, I said, when we get to the last song and Des goes into the big guitar solo, let the smoke grenade off. It'll be amazing. So uh, there he was with his asbestos gloves. 
sat under this guitar amp for the entire show. He was probably as deaf as a post by the time we got to the end. And what I'd neglected to realise was that there were two big guitar solos in this song. So when Des went into the first guitar solo, he let the grenade off. So we we weren't even halfway through the song. I I heard this distant thump, and I turned around and saw this orange smoke rising, and it looked great. And then it got to me, and it was completely poisonous, and you couldn't breathe. You couldn't breathe it. And uh, the entire club emptied. It was full. And we emptied the club and people were on their hands and knees being sick in the street in Carlisle. Um, and uh, we never went back there. But um, we had to then put our put our gear in the van and drive all the way back to Doncaster uh, and keep stopping so that various members of the band could get out and be sick. <laughs> And we got all this orange powder in our airways, in our ears and up our noses and in our eyes. It was really nasty. Um, but, of course, it wasn't designed for letting off in, in nightclubs. It was designed for uh, creating a bit of atmos in amongst tanks. Literally no shit it wasn't designed to be set off in nightclubs. <laughs> so, anyway, that was Pugsley. And... Um, he came out of the army eventually, and he <laughs> hardly surprised. <laughs> and he couldn't really function outside of the army. He, he couldn't really hold a job down. I mean, this happens to a lot of people who come out of the armed forces. They can't quite fit into civvies, um, and they can't settle. And so eventually he he went off to London and had a meeting with a man in an office who offered him another kind of job. And he offered him a job, I mean, it was basically mercenary work. He offered him a job teaching the Sultan of Oman's troops to fire rockets, rocket launchers and uh, anti, anti-tank missiles and whatever, you know, basically training other people's troops uh, because that I guess that was the only expertise he had. And he went off to the Middle East and uh, he came back in a box, motorcycle accident, mm. which I found out years later from a, from Dee McLaughlin who toured, uh, who tour managed us. He'd been in the RAF and he said, oh, well, Motorcycle accident is the standard excuse for someone who's basically met met a death that they're not going to tell you about. Um, and he had a quote motorcycle accident unquote and 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 was lost and and um, came back. And I knew all his family. I knew his mum and dad, and of course they were all devastated. Um, and games in Germany is about him. It's about it's about me wanting to be a, a rock star and touring in Europe, and it's about my memories of of him, you know, across the Rhine in your army green, making noise in the name of peace with all the boys in Germany, you know, and you, you signed your name, the sport of kings, you waved goodbye with a laughing glance, and now you're gone where the heroes go. Um, it was all about Pugsley. It was all about my the sort of childhood friend. I think we'll stop there and go to Diary because it's a perfect place to 
to stop. Uh, and we'll pick up with the rest of the album uh, next week. Um, but um, really nice, really nice memory. That um, You're going to Glasgow, aren't you? Uh, yes, for the ABC, yes. I think, in Glasgow. And then uh, Manchester and Academy, Manchester I, think that, Academy. I think that's what we've got. Cool. On the way. Right, let's uh, let's nip off. Let's nip off. Happy Christmas in November. Saturday, 19th of November. Glasgow, ABC. Rolled out of bed around 11am and recognised the familiar sight of Socky Hall Street. So this is where the gig is then. Dressed and ran into Carl, who says it's a lovely gig. Went inside. Nice hall, the ABC. Big old iron girders splayed out massively but elegantly in the roof space. And the biggest mirror ball you ever did see. Apart from Pink Floyd's one, which opens out like a Terry's chocolate orange, of course, to reveal another one inside, spinning the other way. I went to the dressing room, nicely furnished with leather sofas and designer sink, cleaned my teeth in the designer sink, hadn't slept particularly well and was in need of someone to moan at. Quinna wasn't around. Marillion's anti-publicity machine had, as in hadn't, left its mark in advance of our arrival. There was no mention of us playing here tonight whatsoever, despite many posters of other artists and forthcoming attractions in evidence outside. I know we've got a fanatical and priceless fan base, but sometimes I wish we made a bit more effort to remind the general public that we exist. Grrr. Finally managed to get directions to the day room, the Art House Hotel in Bath Street, and walked over there. Q was already there sorting things out. The room wasn't ready, so I went walk about in search of underwear. I bought my last batch here at the boss shop opposite Prince's Square in Buchanan Street. Made my way there on what was a very cold morning, past buskers playing the bagpipes. You could tell you weren't in Derby. The cold weather evokes Christmas once again. It's all so sudden. I like Glasgow. It's full of human beings. Real people with no pretense, are to be enjoyed in any direction you look. Just don't stare too long, someone might take exception, and it's still possible to pick up a Glasgow smile here if you're in the wrong place in the wrong time. While we're on the subject, Rangers are playing Celtic here today, so I'd been advised to be a bit wary on the street from mid-afternoon onwards. I bought a coffee in Costa and managed to spill it all over the front of the white coat I was wearing. Not the height of glamour, but hey. Saw and bought a pair of black jeans in Diesel in Buchanan Street before returning to the Art House Hotel where the day room was now ready. And very nice it was too. Lovely room, well designed and very artsy-fartsy. I spent a while sponging the coffee off my coat and then relaxed on the bed for a couple of hours. It was blissful after two nights on the bus and a long walk around Glasgow's cold streets. Returned to the ABC for soundcheck and couldn't help noticing a fancy dress hire shop over the street. Went back out and wandered in. Emerged shortly after with a Santa outfit purchased for £45. You can't go wrong. 
said hello to old Norwegian friends Gaspacho, who are opening for us tonight. It was nice to see them again. Soundcheck was long, but unremarkable, i.e. I can't remember it, and like flights, unremarkable is good. Went back out to the bus and watched a DVD of Deep Purple on the Machine Head tour. This was the tour that I caught for real at Sheffield City Hall. That was the night I decided at the ripe old age of 16 that I wanted to do this for a living. It's very therapeutic to watch old footage of rock bands. Hardly any equipment or crew, just a bunch of guys working hard, performing hard and being in the moment. It can remind you of what's important. It reminds you that there's more to life than being super tight and recreating the album you just recorded down to the finest detail. No, it's all about the vibe and what you share with the audience. So no more moaning about who missed this chord or that chord or whether the playing was perfect or the singing absolutely spot on throughout. It doesn't matter. We're there to create a feeling and an energy. That's every bit as important as the music. Working day in and day out with a bunch of musos, it's easy to lose sight of the simple and fundamental truths. I hit the stage bearing this in mind and was greeted by a big room full of Glaswegians in party mood. Really enjoyed the show and kept saying, it's great to be back after so long. I forgot we'd only played Glasgow last year. What a pillock. After the show, I went round the corner to a bar and drank beer and tequila with gazpacho till 1.30 when I got the call to return to the bus departing for Manchester. Wobbled onto the bus and zigzagged to bed. Sunday, 20th of November, Manchester Academy. Slept well for the first time. It always takes a few days on the bus before proper sleep happens. Getting used to the bed and the movement. Had a lie-in and took my time before emerging into the bright sunshine of a perfect winter's morning. Bumped into Lucy, and she set about the business of trying to locate the trousers I'd left in Middlesbrough. The hotel reception are trying to locate the housekeeping staff. Some hope. Left her to it on the mobile phone out in the street and wandered inside. It's Sunday, and as I helped myself to a coffee inside the academy, one of the local crew asked me if I'd been to church. Much ironic mirth all round. Spent much of the morning trying to do all the things that are so simple at home. Changing clothes, having a wash, cleaning your teeth, washing your clothes. On the road, every little thing is complicated. The dressing room door was locked. The toilet door had no lock. The water isn't hot. My dirty washing is in a number of different locations. Bus bunk, suitcase in bus bay, wardrobe, flight case. All this stuff is easily sorted out, but it takes 30 minutes to do the things which would take two at home. I was also trying to test an effects box with my piano, not for the show tonight, but perhaps for the one-man show I'm planning next February. As soon as it was plugged in, it lit up and then died. It's never done that before, said Pete, who's lent it to me. It took another two hours to get it going. This was done by taking the lid off, doing absolutely nothing and then putting the lid back on again. No doubt it'll continue to work flawlessly now until I'm on stage with it in front of a few hundred people. Eventually I had my socks and pants all washed and hanging on a coat hanger. 
Rich had forgotten to take the tumble dryer out of the truck and the driver was now asleep in said truck so nothing could be disturbed. Not a problem as he'll be up in a couple of hours. But do you see what I mean? Left wet washing and wandered down Manchester's Oxford Road in search of breakfast. It was a choice between McDonald's and Subway so I plumped for that. Emerged with some sort of exotic hot chicken salad baguette and called home as I walked back. Sue says there's been a thick frost today and that it's a lovely morning there too. She's been out for a walk with the kids. Wish I could have gone too. You can't have everything. Arrived back at the venue. Lucy's not having much luck with my trousers. Went on stage to discover the effects box now working. So Pete gave me a masterclass. Push that button there, then push it again. Hang on a minute. Oh, maybe it's the other button. That's it, I think. While I attempted to eat the Subway baguette, spraying breadcrumbs all over everything. I soon got the hang of it, the pedal, not the sandwich. Don't know if it's something I'd want to use on stage, though. It's tricky deciding how complicated to make everything. If in doubt. Went back into the dressing room and attempted to get online. Managed it after a while and picked up a few emails. Paul Lewis is coming over tonight and wants putting on the guest list. Forgive the grammar, a throwback from my days in the Europeans with the Glaswegians. Lord B's wondering if he should invite Richard Curtis to say a few words at the London Forum show. I think it would be a good thing. While I'm online, Aziz arrives, so I say hello and play him the oil song. He thinks it's great. Hooray! Dull later appears and I play it to him. He's blown away. Great. Now what do I do with it? Maybe I should upload it to the world for free while it's still fresh and relevant. P.S. Nope. I released it on the Arclight mini-album in 2013. The news has come through that tonight has sold out. With guests, there's going to be 2,100 people in here. It'll be packed. Marvellous. Hung around and watched disease and dial sound checking. Technologically chaotic, but artistically astounding, as always. There really is no one on earth can play guitar remotely like him, and Dahl's tablet playing is in another place. By now the doors are open, so I have to run and hide for half an hour until they're on stage. I go out to the sound desk to listen. Rod's still sorting out their sound. It's tough being an opening act. At this moment, my sisters and mum nudge me, so I say hello to them for a while before running off with Sue's boy Dan to show him the action from the side of stage. I take him up on stage and we watch the rest of Aziz's short set from behind the guitar cabinets. He goes down well, but I'm reminded once again that it's not enough to be brilliant. You need that lucky break that crosses you over to mainstream punters and a shed load of marketing money. It happened to Marillion before I met them, and we've managed to maintain a hardcore big enough to make it possible for us to function at a certain level. It's like getting an enormous rock to roll. Once it's rolling, you can keep it going easier than the effort it took to get it started. So rock and roll's not such a bad name for it, but it could have been called Momentum instead. Doesn't have the same ring about it, though. And anything derived from Latin is very on rock and roll. I decided to risk half an E tonight, so I had one about 15 minutes before showtime. Worked a treat and I was on fire for the show. The place was as busy as I've seen it, solid to the back wall. I sang and performed with total relaxation 
and remained in the zone throughout. The band played well, and there was no noticeable clangers or system crashes from the keyboards. Hallelujah. Played five songs for the encores, then got changed into the Santa outfit for a romp through the Erin Marbles, joke Irish drinking version of Marbles, which we recorded to give away for this year's Xmas fan club CD. A fabulous time was had by all. Talked to Mum and Sue and Jill for an hour afterwards, then showered and got on the bus. Mosley got on and gave me a kebab. It doesn't get any better than that, folks. Went to bed with that inner glow which you can only get from raw onion. And we're back! Yay! We're back! I've got a a couple of questions. Yes. Uh, I love Glasgow, by the way. It's one of my favourite cities. Yes, me too. Um, it's it's got a vibe, hasn't it? Oh, sure got fantastic vibe. vibe! Proper people, and, proper real people. Well, I was in a Glasgow band, of course, and I I, I became fairly intimate, you know, with the with the uh, <laughs> the accent and the and the culture and and the city and everything. Mm. No, it's a, it's a. I mean, I've visited it a lot and uh, over the course of ten, fifteen years, and really, really, really like it. I think it's a. a Stunning place, really stunning place. Um, but yes, so you're in Glasgow, um, yeah. and and nice little bit of blather and what have you about day to day, and you know the lack of the lack of posters and and, and bits and pieces, a um, little bit of a moan uh, like that. But then, what what possesses you to just buy a Santa outfit? I'm not sure. It was November, wasn't it? Um, hmm. I think it was just cold. <laughs> So it sort of, I think we denounced the tour as a Christmas tour, even though it was only in November. And there didn't seem to be much that was very Christmassy about it. And so, of course, when I spotted the fancy dress shop opposite the gig, I thought, oh, I'll be in there and see if I can get a Santa outfit, because then that could give the end of the, the show a bit of a Christmassy reference. Um, whether or not it's apt, <laughs> and and that was probably all it was. And is that because you did you did the Aaron Marbles, didn't you? Yes, the sort of Pogues version of mm. my, yeah. It fell through a hole in the corner. Thing about Shane McGowan, he had this trick, which it it, it, it was probably not Shane's trick. It's probably traditional Irish way of singing but you start each line with a ha <laughs> and then sing the rest of the line <laughs> so you hey anyone see my last fell through a car it's lovely you know um so um i was trying to sort of channel shane mcgowan and the and the um the scream on the front of every line yeah we- oh, when, I, when I actually wrote Marbles, did anyone see my last marble as it rolled out and over the floor? I'd imagined it like that. You know, like, I did anyone see my last marble? Da, da, dee, da, 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 da. Like Black Velvet Band. Um, and then I heard that song. The accordion uh, is all I'm saying. <laughs> just got the accordion written all where over is, it. Where is Mick McCarthy when you need him? Um, Christmas and- at Oxford. 
<laughs> so I just know to me, I, I, I sort of imagined it like that. And then I heard a song called, is it called You Rufus Wainwright song called, oh, what's it called? I don't know what the song's called. But the chorus is the nose of China playing the side of all Don't throw pillars to anybody's high. Save your poison for another is on your side. Um that one. <laughs> Whatever that's called. It might even be called Chinese song or something. Um and it's on the Posers album and I heard that. And that had that that I was trying to work that out, and and then I realised that, um, you know, the don't know if you can hear that. Um, so that took me to that place, the sort of slightly more um, Oriental you know, East Asian approach. And that's that's what ended up on the, which is much more reflective and uh, and much nicer, much more beautiful and much less throwaway than the, um, the kind of mad Irish drinking song I'd originally imagined it as. So, yeah, but it in- doesn't lend itself to a Santa outfit in quite the same way, does it? No. No, it l- lends itself more to a kimono... <laughs> I can't think of Very anything long scarier, mustache. you know, than Shane McGowan in a Santa outfit. <laughs> you know that scene in Trading Places where Dan Aykroyd's the washed-up Santa at the end? Yeah. Imagine that with Shane McGowan. You'd cross, you wouldn't just cross the street, you'd cross the county. Yeah, yeah. There's a bar in Dublin called the Palace Bar and it's got a little room in the front that is Shane's room. And they put him in there to keep him away from the public. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and a, a couple of other bits. We, we'll, we'll, we'll need to rattle through this, um, mm. just because we've we've already been talking for ages. It's going to be going to be a whopper this week. Um, you did. You were watching a Deep Purple uh, video um, and uh, the, yeah. the Sheffield City Hall thing, but you were reminiscing about perfection on stage. Mm. And actually getting over worrying about a drop note or a missed chord or this, that and the other. Which seemed very philosophical and, and you know, and make perfect sense and absolutely with it. And it's something you've said as you've said that in the past. But it's interesting because when Rothers was on, that came up in the conversation about getting off stage and somebody not hearing the thousand things that gone right, only hearing the one thing that's gone wrong. So it still plagues you, even though you very clearly have written down, look, it's, you know, you look at the great performances of all time and they're not necessarily perfect. It's true. Uh, that is very true. But I, I guess we're all, all five of us are perfectionists and we're we're all, you know, if Mosley doesn't play all the right drum fills in the right place, he, you know, he comes off stage with a cloud under him because he's missed a Tom Tom fill, which, you know, is really not what it's about. You know, the the fans don't care, um, but we are perfectionists, um, and in that sense, we're our own worst enemy. I mean, you've 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 got to be a perfectionist to get good at anything, yeah. because if you don't care, you're not going to get any better. Uh, you have to care. 
Um, but then the fans often. I remember the bits that don't go don't go to plan. Oh I yeah, I mean it. we we've had the most appalling gigs, and people have come back afterwards and said that's the best thing I've ever seen, and we've thought what. I was just about to string myself up, you know, and you've come backstage and told me it was a some kind of awesome experience. And and the reverse of that happens where, you know, the whole thing is as tight as a duck's arse all night and you all come off stage patting one another's backs going, that was, that was amazing. And people come back and go, <laughs> you know. So what the audience is after is not really you know, hearing the record again, but but it's being played live. They want a vibe of some description. And so some of the best gigs we've ever had, have, have, there's been a power cut in the middle and everything's gone off or the PA's broken or, or you know, there's been some kind of, 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 of technical problem and, we've, and so we've had to improvise. And then, as soon as that happens, people get excited because the mask the mask has dropped, yeah. and they see you. They see you know they they see the human being in you maybe a little bit more, and well, that's well, more exciting. Well, as an audience, you want you want a closer connection to the band, and and those are the moments when you get a closer connection to the band. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. I do remember the watching that Deep Purple gig on on the boss, that, that DVD. And Pete, I, I don't think I even mentioned it in the diary, but Pete was there with me. And the two of us watched it together. And when it was finished, we were both so pumped up and both so ready to go on stage because it was like we, we were all, that's what it's about. That's You know, we were both... Back to, we were almost back in that place that we were in when we first decided we wanted to be musicians because we, we were excited by looking at someone else and going, wow, that's fantastic. That's what I want to do. We both had that feeling, but at the same time, we're in the very fortunate position of, of thinking, well, that's what I do do. Let's go and do that. So we both went on stage pumped up by that and and had a fantastic gig the pair of us um so it's good to occasionally watch other artists you know having a great show before you go on stage yourself because it reminds you what it, what's great about live music is 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 still buzzing around your head as you walk on mm. i feel that way about that headline that pulp did at glastonbury Right, which was just outstanding, and they did that ridiculous version of Common People at the end, which was just unbelievable. And it was oh, just, I'll have to check yeah. that out. Oh, it's, it's it. they're, they're just on fire, and it's just like, yeah, that's it. You're you're playing your hearts out. You're you're playing like you're playing to fifteen people in a little backstreet club, and it really means everything. Yeah, and that, just fantastic. Um, one last thing, just to finish, because I, I, I don't think you answer the question, or we ever find out, and I don't think it probably happened because I would have known about it, but you were talking about Richard Curtis getting oh, up yeah. and saying a few words at the the London gig. I don't know if it was the Forum or whichever venue it was going to be. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. I mean, I, I don't remember that at all. And But when I read it in the diary... Um, what that was a reference to was um, the Make Poverty History campaign, which yes. Richard Curtis and Bob Geldof launched. 
And I was invited down to that by Lord B, our publicist. Um, and I had, and I was chatting to Richard Curtis um, during during that or be, before it. And I, I, I said a brief hello to Bob. I didn't chat to Bob so much. But I had a little natter with Richard. And then subsequent to that, I, I, I exchanged quite a few emails with Richard's wife, Emma Freud. It was really lovely because I wanted to help. I wanted to, you know, it got it got under my skin a bit that make poverty history campaign with the with the white bangles that people used to wear and everything, um, and I wanted I wanted to do something, I, I, you know, I had a fire in my belly about it, and so I was swapping e- emails with 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 Emma Freud, and. And another interesting thing I might have said about this before is that is that when I went home from that Make Poverty History launch, I shared a cab with Robin Gibb from the Bee Gees because yeah, he was that. he was going back to back out to Haddenham near Tame, which was where he lived, and so they stuck me and him in the back of a, a limo together and and took him home, dropped him off, and then took me home. So I had the privilege of of, of a long old chat about about anything and everything with Robin. Um, but I digress. Um, I think the reason Lord B had said perhaps we could get Richard Curtis to get up and say a few words at the forum or the London show was it was about Make Poverty History, but it never happened in the end. Right. Well, because we, we there doesn't seem to be an entry for that show, so that was the only reason I wanted to... To just you, clarify, no, it never happened. Well, I mean, he's he's probably quite busy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> penning mega movies. And, yes, you know, having dinner with uh, what's his face? Well, Hugh Grant, obviously. That's it. Just him. just Hugh Grant, isn't it? <laughs> Hugh you Grant. Know. Yeah. I mean, even Richard Curtis is in, is in awe of Hugh Grant because he mentioned him a couple of times when I was talking to him, and he, he sort of mentioned him like <laughs> like I would talk about Elvis. He he would talk about Hugh Grant. I mean, he was he was in awe of the guy, he, even though he'd written all those movies for him. He just said he's just a huge star, you know. By it's in his blood. Um, he's like Tom Cruise in that respect. They were always stars. Tom I guess Cruise so. was always a star. Hugh Grant was always a star. Yeah, yeah. No. I, mean, I mean, have you seen Paddington? Where no, Hugh Paddington Grant? Too. Yeah, where Hugh Grant plays the sort of oh. Oh, and that sequence at the end. Isn't he great? He's phenomenal. Yeah, he is he's, great. He's, he's phenomenal. He's phenom- and, and do you know what? Hugh Grant doesn't always play Hugh Grant. That's a, that is a one of those cheap things that people throw out and say, oh, yeah, he always plays Hugh Grant. He absolutely doesn't. No. He absolutely doesn't. He's far no. more talented than people give him, give him credit for, and he's superb in Paddington too. Absolutely amazing. We better – well, let's end there. Let's end with Paddington too. Yes, let's. we started with me, me having you know n- not not been not been sort of uh, deferentially enough to the Catalans, and we'll end with Patalan uh, with Paddington too. Let's do that. I'm going to open some marmalade. Good shout. Cover my eyes 
the light falls on her face Dangerous lines Dangerous colors and shapes Ferocious designs Connected and ready to play And when she smiles The color of diamonds She sighs What can I say? I love you more than Mrs. Peel I love you more than Simon's car I love you more than Andy's flowers Or Dusty's eyes Or Lou's guitar I love you more than Astrid's clothes Or Sandy's toes Or anything at all I love you more than all that I live Eleanor And when she talks I can't hear the words I can't hear the words For the music I love you more than Mrs. Peel, I love you more than Simon's car. Love you more than Andy's flowers or Dusty's eyes or Lou's guitar. I love you more than anything that's happened here in fifty years or more. I love you more than all that I live for Thank you, Ross and Martin Rowland Thank you, Brigitte Snap Thank you everybody for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls should the mood take you.
This has been an A Short Stories production.